Jennifer Susie is back on the show. She was on here last time talking about her book, Demon and Me, and she's back on again this time talking about her newest book, The Mother We Share, which I got a chance to read before everybody else did. Haha, ha, it comes out tomorrow. And it's fantastic. So we'll get into that. But first, let me tell you about my friends. Irie Kitchen is the best place in Grand Rapids, but you know what, maybe even the world, for organic Caribbean street food. The owner, Vince, has been rocking out since he was 19 years old with this restaurant. And the food is amazing. The energy inside the building is great. I'm going to tell you right now, you get that chicken sandwich on that homemade cocoa bread, that bread does not get soggy in the fridge. So if you order a big sandwich, don't worry about it getting gross overnight. It's going to come out the next day being just as delicious cold as it was the day before. You got to check these guys out. Irie Kitchen. Taste the rhythm. The show is also brought to you by Rivertown Adventures in Lansing, Michigan. The most fun you're going to have outdoors and possibly indoors in Lansing, Michigan, or anywhere else for that matter. It's outdoors. It's socially distanced. This is what you got to be doing if you're going to have fun with your friends. You don't have to worry, oh, is it safe to eat at the place yet? Can we? Should we even all get in a car? Go downtown, meet up there, get in some boats, have a great time. Don't worry about it. You can get canoes, kayaks, paddle boards. You can get two people in a kayak. I didn't even know that was a thing, but they have tandem kayaks. So please. Please go and check out Rivertown Adventures in downtown Lansing. Check them out at rivertownadventures.com. Live free, go paddle with Rivertown Adventures. The next thing you got to do is get on Facebook because that's the only place you're going to find them, all right? Facebook and look up Baby Farm Soaps. They've got all the soaps that you need. They've got all the lip care products that you need, skin care products, beard care products, you name it. They've got it. Baby Farm Soaps. Check them out. Let them know that you heard about them on Creative Ops and tell them you want one of everything. Baby Farm Soaps. I always give a big shout out to Hey Guys Media Group because they're the guys that got me started in podcasting. And I also write for them online. So, you know, that's that's another thing that I do. But check those guys out, heyguysmediagroup.com because what they do is they help people make podcasts. They can teach you everything that you need to know, help you get started early on so that you make sure that you get all the right cover art, everything gets uploaded where it's supposed to get uploaded to. And then from there, it's just a, it's a smooth path. Trust me, these guys know what they're doing and they want to help you know what you're doing so that you can make your podcast the way that you want to. So please, check them out, heyguysmediagroup.com, and see how they can help you make your podcast. And then the last one today is Ziggler of Grandville. Harold Ziggler of Grandville sells Dodge new and used cars, as well as some other cars too. But I, myself, drive a Dodge that I bought from there, and their service department is fantastic. And uh, I talked to them a little bit, and they were like, hey, yeah, we want to get in on, uh, on this show for one episode and see how that goes. So please, go. Check out Randville, Michigan, Harold Ziegler, Z-E-I-G-L-E-R. Check them out, see what they can do for you with all of your car and car repair needs. All right. That said, let's get into this. As I had already mentioned, Jennifer Susie is a fantastic writer of horror. She's got a new book out for young adult audiences. Not like young, young adult, but like, you know, high school at least. And she writes horror. Some of her stuff is creepier than others, but it's all kind of ground in this very realistic world that slowly sucks you into a WTF land. And it's, it's, it's great. It's great. I can't say enough about it. It's very poetically written, which seems to contrast how dark the book is, but uh, the two work in a very strange marriage and uh, Jennifer Susie's style is, is unique and highly enjoyable. Also, I'm going to be giving away some of her books through the podcast too. So if you go to my Instagram, Christopher underscore Talon, find a post that has Jennifer Susie's books on it 
take a screenshot of her books, take a screenshot of the podcast logo, upload those on your own post, and there's a very good chance that you might win a book or two or three from Jennifer Susie. So please go check that out. I've also got the details at www.christophertallon.com, which you should check out anyway, because that's my website and I'm fucking awesome. So go ahead, check out my friend Jennifer Susie at www.jenniferlsusie.com. JenniferLSusie.com. Check out everything she's got going on. Visit her on her social medias, follow her, like her, interact with her, and most of all, buy her books or, hey, try to get in the running for some free ones. But uh, that's enough of that. Let's get into the interview with Jen Susie, born in the New England area, now living in Georgia, and she's written about both places in very fun, fascinating ways. I hope you get a chance to check it out. And uh, if you don't believe me now, Listen to the interview, and I know you'll want to go and check out what she's got. So, without further ado, here is my interview the second time with Jennifer Susie. It's been a, it's been a weird. <laughs> been a weird weekend between my car deciding it's not going to work and then my computer starting up and being like you need updates and restarting today uh how have you been oh uh i hear you on the weirdness it has been march has been such a shit month like it's been <laughs> one yes. disaster after another so i'm really hoping april's gonna be better <laughs> yeah well uh your book this podcast, I'm hoping to get it out today, if not by tomorrow. So either way, by then, um, most people will be listening to this April 6th or after. So your newest book will be out. Um, let's talk about that just a little bit. I don't want to give spoilers or anything, and we'll get into it a little bit. But we we mm -hmm. won't talk about anything past, like, say, the first half of the book. Just to That's, that's good. That's what I not... do my blurbs on usually. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't, I don't <laughs> want to give away too much too fast. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about this book. This is a, you, you told me that this is a YA book, right? It's like YA slash NA because it's going to be a series and um, the following books are going to get progressively more adult, obviously, as the character gets older. Yeah. Well, because there were parts of it where I was like, okay, this, this seems like as far as the romance goes, I was like, okay, mm -hmm. this seems like normal YA, like they like each other, they kiss, they're kind of like hee hee about it. But then it does get a little bit heavier and uh, there, yes. that's when I was like okay you know what I guess this could be YA but it's probably not going to be like a sixth grade read no this is definitely like 17 18 plus this is not yeah. for kids well and plus I mean the bulk of YA like like these types of novels they really are intended for older teenagers especially when you're writing like horror I'm sure there's like some spooky middle grade books or whatever but when you're going, like, when you're writing about monsters and stuff, you really don't want to aim for, like, the preteen audience, because who knows? I mean, I don't know what affects people in what way, because I grew up on horror, and yeah. I guess I'm okay, but <laughs> you never <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. So, yeah, it's definitely for older groups. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I grew up on horror, too. Um, my dad was uh, in the Army and in, in drafted into Vietnam. 
And so I think his idea of like what's appropriate is just a little bit off. So when I was really young, he was like, hey, come and watch this movie with me. A guy that went to the same high school as me wrote it. And it was The Exorcist. So I was like in first or second grade. And he's like, can you believe a guy I went to high school wrote this? And I'm just sitting there pissing my pants like, why are you showing me this? Oh, I I totally get you. Because my mother, um, both my parents were Catholics, but my mom was like, a super Catholic, you know? Yeah. So um, when the exorcist came on TV, I was like nine years old when it made its first television appearance and she's watching it. And she's like, Oh, you should sit down and watch this. It's about a possession. And I'm like, okay, sure. That sounds fun. So I'm watching it and I'm like getting slowly creeped out. And then, yeah. you know, Reagan starts flipping on the bed. I fled the room. I was like, why did you do this to me? Yeah, no, I, <laughs> Me too, because I I grew up Catholic, and actually the the church that I went to is kind of famous now because the um the priest had embezzled like a couple million dollars from our church over the course of a couple decades, and then oh uh, I think he died of like a guilt induced heart attack while he was on trial for it. So that's um, crazy. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, so um, all all things Catholicism kind of thrown in there. I don't know, but uh, uh yeah. We were Catholic, too, and both my parents grew up going to, like, Catholic schools, um, mm-hmm. which may have had an effect on the guy who wrote The Exorcist. I don't know. But, yeah, so, um, you know, everything in that movie was super Catholic, so it wasn't just, like, this is mm-hmm. something that can happen to anybody be- who believes, but, like, it felt very Catholic. And I was like, is this going to happen to me if I, like, steal a candy bar? Like, ah! So I spent most of my young life being terrified of being possessed for, like, no reason whatsoever. Oh, no, me too. And, um, you know, a couple years after, like most teenagers, um, my friend had a Ouija board, you know, and so we were playing with it. And, you know, you swear something happens. I don't know if anything really happened. But like, the first thought in my head was, oh, my God, am I going to be flipping on the bed and and getting possessed and peeing on the carpet? (laughs) I forgot about that because... They said in the movie, like, oh, she had been playing with a Ouija board or something like that, right? They tried to pin yeah, it on that? Yeah, yeah. She met Captain oh. Howdy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I obviously haven't watched that movie since I was, like, 10 because I forgot a lot of that stuff at the beginning part of it. I just remembered the really gruesome stuff. Oh, man. Did you see the, um? oh, they had, a, a like, a 30-year anniversary special where they updated it and made it look a lot better, and they were able to put in scenes, like, the the spider walk down the stairs did you see that oh yeah we actually um me and my boyfriend we took my mother to the theater to go see that and honestly i mean like it was cool the first time or whatever because you know the spider walk was pretty cool but i really prefer the original version because that's the one that scared me the most but honestly if you've not read the book you definitely need to read the book and one of the things i thought was so funny um, which it didn't really strike me as funny until, you know, starting to write and all that. But, um, you know, the author, he wrote the screenplay for the movie as well. And it was his huh. first time writing a screenplay. So he didn't really know what to do. So he just did a really good adaptation of the novel. Like it's it's very, very good. There's almost every scene is in it. And when someone asked him, like, how did you write such, you know, a, a true to the book screenplay? How did they let you get away with that? He's like, well, I just, I thought that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> like, I didn't know I was supposed to change it. 
that's really funny too because like i've heard people say that uh um one guy that i interviewed who normally did um surf photography got roped mm-hmm. into like making some videos for surfer magazine and he was like so i just googled like what a screenplay looks like and kind of went from there but yeah if there's yeah. no simple point of reference then yeah i guess you just make it up as you go that's kind of brilliant <laughs> yeah i like i just i thought it was so cool because you know when you're a book fan and you see like an adapted movie of the book a lot of times it's either just bad or it's somehow unsatisfying or not quite perfect because they change little things here and there. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was so refreshing that he was like, well, why would I change anything? They asked me to adapt my book. So I I did. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's talk about some writing stuff then. Um, last time we talked, uh, if I remember right, you said that you're not the kind of person who writes um, with an end in mind already. Is that right? You kind of, you follow your gut until you get to a point where you're like, well, obviously this has to happen or no. Well, I have like a vague idea of how it's going to end, but it's not always set in stone because sometimes as you're writing, like I'll, I'll keep in mind certain plot points that I want to see happen, but sometimes things change. And um, if it works, then I go with it. And if not, then I try to urge the characters back in a different direction because you know sometimes they have minds of their own (laughs) oh yeah for sure for sure and i've heard people say even like um oh god who was it uh elmore leonard um Mm -hmm. he said that he was writing one story one of his more famous ones and there was a character that just he didn't have any life to it and he said he just changed the name from like bob to steve and all of a sudden this character wouldn't shut up and had a backstory it, it so it's yeah just a little a little tweak can <laughs> can make a big difference yeah. whether it's just in the writer's mind or if it actually has like a logical aspect to it right and i think i think too i mean obviously some of that makes it into the story but i think more importantly if you kind of build up your characters in your mind you don't even have to write everything that happens to them you don't have to write their whole backstory every motivation and dream or nightmare that they have as long as you know it a lot of times that'll still come through you know if you're doing your job right so it's just important that you know it you don't have to give every detail but which can be kind of hard because sometimes you really want to but then that's how tangents happen and the pacing slows down so you got to be careful Yeah. You know, I don't really have a good question for this. So maybe I'll just say, give like a mini lecture about pacing because you do a great job of like the hook for this most recent book, um, The Mother We Share. Uh, sorry, I didn't mention the name sooner. Uh, <laughs> it, it it catches you with kind of a misdirect, um, which pulls you in by itself. But then each chapter just seems to get more steam without ever having started off from a super slow place. So what's your, what's kind of your personal thoughts on pacing and, and how to do it right? Well, I'm not sure that at first I was doing it right, but um, you know, it's one of those things definitely with practice that you will get better at and with reading, you know, again, you know, a writer should be reading quite a mm. bit because uh, it, you can learn from other people's successes, things that you should be focusing on and including in your work. 
But uh, The Mother We Share was the first book I wrote in 2018. So I had no real idea what I was doing. (laughs) And um, so I wrote it and, you know, I did some editing. I did some rewrites here and there. And I started uh, putting it up for um, the pitch contest. And I remember the feedback I was getting was so crazy. Like I had one agent who said, and this was within a week, I got these two rejections. I had one agent who was like, the beginning is too slow. It's you've got to have something happen in the first chapter. And then within a week, I got another rejection from another agent. And they were like, yeah, this is way too fast paced. Like, this is just not going to work for me. And I'm like, well, (laughs) damn it, what did I do? (laughs) So I kind of did like a blend of that. And you know, feedback, we learn from feedback. So, you know, even if I didn't necessarily know who to agree with, I took both opposing options and kind of tried to make a middle ground that satisfied me and I hope satisfied, will satisfy readers, you know. Mm. Um, but but yeah, I just, uh, every chapter should have a purpose. Every, even every section of a chapter should have a purpose. And if you're rereading yourself, you know, before you even show it to anyone, if you're rereading it and you're skimming over parts or maybe you're a little bit bored or you find your mind wandering, that's kind of a clue that you need to do something different here. Because if you're getting distracted, the reader is probably going to be like dead bored. <laughs> this part. So, so try to try to jazz it up a little. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because I was thinking about this earlier. Um, I think one of the better compliments that a writer could give another writer is to say, I have a hard time reading your stuff in big chunks because it makes me want to go write. And not yeah. a lot of writers. Sometimes I just go, I, I want to read a different story or I, you know, I need to go and do a chore right now, but I read your stuff and I can't read more than like 30 pages before my mind starts going in a different direction. And I just start going, <laughs> Oh, you know what? I want to write a story that ha- kind of has like, that thing from that one scene, I could do that. And it just, it, it sends me into a whirlwind, but yeah, it, it, that's a different kind of um, distraction, <laughs> I guess. That's a good one to, to have. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. I want to talk about the pinch competitions because all I got was a headache from the first one that I tried to do, but I, I really want to first talk about um, the mother we share. You said that's the first novel that you wrote. Yes. And I mean, the publishing world, things can get, you know, delayed, messed up. And of course, 2020 is still an ongoing nightmare, you know, with COVID mm-hmm. and, uh, and my publisher, they're so great, Rediskew, but, um, you know, they were one of many, you know, hit with massive delays from COVID stuff. The whole, a lot of publishers were, you know, and, um, you know, because Amazon was delaying books and all this. And of course, if people are getting sick, which we had people on the staff that had gotten sick, so they mm-hmm. needed time to recover. But then I, one of our editors is also on the West Coast. So once we started getting back from the COVID stuff and the wildfires happened and, you know, it was just one thing after another. And so things got delayed, which is totally understandable. So, but now it's finally out. It, and it's just, it's just like, oh my God, I can't believe my first book is out. And it's like, the fourth book I've published. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I was. Yeah. That's what I was first wondering was, did this book just kind of like get planned to be published? And for whatever reason, it kind of kept bouncing around or, um, cause I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, the first 
book you write isn't the first one that gets published usually. Um, mm -hmm. Did you come back to this and say, you know, I think this one is good enough. I'm going to try to push this one back out. Or was it just a series of delays? It was just a series of delays, you know, unavoidable things that, you know, again, a lot of publishers went through last yeah. year. Um, but yeah, I had sold it. I had sold it right after I sold Demon and Me, which was technically the first book I had sold. So okay. it was due to be published after that. But um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, 2020 happened and that just set everything back, which was why I ended up self-publishing The Night She Fell, too. Like, because I, I had already written it and worked on it and I'd had all this time. So I was like, might as well. I'm waiting on well, yeah, <laughs> everything the, else. Because so. Demon and Me, when we talked about that, that had a, a weird journey where somebody had, a publisher had bought it and then mm -hmm. gone out of out, business went under but... before they could actually put it out right so yep. um <sighs> man that's <laughs> i'm trying to i'm trying to make a question out of that and all I, I just keep spinning around to like my experience this weekend where your entire publishing experience has like <laughs> kind of been like a a crazy weekend but it's a series of three and a half years now <laughs> oh yeah i mean but it's been great there's been so many lessons i've learned and um you know as a newer writer yeah i i i appreciate it i mean yeah it's a struggle to adjust at first when something happens any obstacle arises but um as long as you learn from it and everything works out in the end then i mean it could be worse it's not that bad yeah you know there's there's people with a lot worse stories of you know publishing and and issues like that and oh, i'm lucky i've chuck, never had to go through anything that bad did did we talk about this i feel like we might have uh chuck palinick who wrote the fight club mm -hmm. i always feel like i'm saying his name wrong but anyway Me too. <laughs> chuck i think it's palinick but um i had heard that his somebody who's in charge of like finances through his publisher had ripped him off of almost all of his money like to the point where he's like, I have almost nothing in the bank. And then um, his outlook on it, though, was like, but I can still write so I can still make money. <laughs> so that was right. a, I mean, a cheery disposition, I guess. But Well, I think I think, too, um, you know, because I think he's had a lot of challenges in his past because I read yeah. uh, one of his books, one of his uh, nonfiction books recently. And, um, you know, I, they're just different type of people. Some people. They have, I don't know if it's a better outlook, a more positive outlook, which not that any one way is right or wrong. I mean, people have to deal with bad stuff all the time. But, uh, you know, if you can if you can try to find some way to not let it drag you down past a certain point. I mean, setbacks are going to, you know, they're going to affect you. Yeah. And we're all, you know, human, but you can't let it destroy you. You've got to just keep pushing and, and try your best to learn something, move on and move forward. Yeah. That's good advice for anybody in any stage of whatever they're doing. Cause uh, well, you know, we, we've talked since the last time uh, you were on the show, I'm still trying to get a book published, but um, yeah. So I'm trying to, trying to stay steady in, uh, in not getting too deterred by the, the nose. This isn't right for me. Thanks for, thanks for asking or just the, no responses but um oh th those yeah. are the worst those are the worst i will take a form letter any day over yeah. crickets <laughs> yeah. if you haven't heard anything after eight weeks it's a no okay great thanks yeah. <laughs> or there's some who are like 
okay, we want you to only just submit to us, but if you haven't heard from us in, you know, 10 months. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We want exclusive rights, but yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. But, um, but no, you just got to keep pushing. I mean, I kept track of every single rejection that I got uh, among three books. Uh, And it was easily like, 40 50 rejections per book until oh, per i got book. wow yeah per book until i got either my acceptances or um just put it out myself like i was lucky demon and me had only gotten maybe a dozen rejections and then you know it had sold but then once that was all said i was like ah, i'll just self publish i can't go through all that again yeah <laughs> Yeah, like it's okay to go. I can't. <laughs> I had thought originally that if I was going to be a uh, an author, that having a podcast would be like a good way to reach a new audience or stay in touch with an audience. But since I've started doing it, I and I love doing it. I've noticed that I've been doing way less time on the like trying to get published stuff, just because you know trying to keep a podcast going has been doing that, but. Man, I think yeah. By this summer, if it's if it's not uh, got traction with somebody, I'll just put it out on Amazon. See how that goes, and then bug people on my podcast to buy it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's a great story. Uh, so don't let the rejections of, you know, agents especially, because a lot of times, you know, they some of them will say, "Yeah, we, we accept new talent," but when it comes right down to it, in my experience, anyway. I mean, the agents, they're, they're business people and they want something that they're, they have, they, they feel is a sure thing, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, um, so if you're brilliant, like, you know, the best writer ever undiscovered gem, you know, then yeah, they might sign you up and hope for the best. But, you know, a lot of people just, it, it's like hitting the lottery, you know, it, it yeah. just doesn't happen right away. So, but that doesn't mean that anything's wrong with your story or your your, uh, technique or anything like that. It's just very competitive. And when you know, I I know that I'm the second best writer behind, behind (laughs) you and maybe Brandon Scott. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's just super competitive. It's crazy. And um, like, I, I really had a lot more luck. I think, especially because of my genre horror is not, usually a massive draw because it doesn't bring in the dollars that other genres that you know do um and they're probably I was looking really for more diverse voices in horror too because i mean you think about all the great horror writers and there's there's definitely mm-hmm. some women in there but it's a lot of white guys oh yeah for sure and that's why women in horror month every february is so awesome like i didn't even know that that was a thing until i started writing and i was on twitter and you know you see all the hashtags and stuff i just know that when i was growing up you know, it was something that I was like, God, oh, there's like, there's not a lot of women writers out there. But of course there are. There are a lot of women writers. They just don't, especially in the past, they did not get the same amount of um, support that their male yeah. counterparts did. So it's nice yeah. to see that changing. And especially in horror, I think above all other genres, they're really pushing to lead the way in uh, diversity, in women, in people of color, in everything. Yeah. Did... I wanted to ask you, um, and geez, I can't remember how much of this is a repeat from last time, so I apologize if I'm redundant. Um, have you read uh, Toni Morrison's uh, Beloved? 
Yeah, I love that book. It's amazing. And it's I, I would classify it totally as a horror story. Okay, did we talk about this last time? I don't think so. I don't remember. That was my next question is, do you call that a horror story or historical fiction? No, I call it a horror story. I mean, yeah, I could see where you would also call it historical fiction. I would call it a horror story and Southern Gothic as well. Yeah, because that was, mm-hmm. we had to read for um, my senior year in college. We did a, our our author study was Toni Morrison. It's, you know, it changes every semester, but that's what it was that semester. Mm-hmm. And uh, that woman is, was an intense writer, but that book more than any, like, it just seemed so, well, maybe not solely that one. There was the one with the, the women that lived in the old convent too. Oh, what was that one called? That one was kind of weird, but um, yeah, that one, it, it was horrifying, but it drew more from real life to be horrifying than, than anything else. I always thought that the, the, the daughter coming back to life was just kind of like emphasis on the, the real horror. Um, oh, for sure. But I, that's one of the things though, that, sometimes works very well in horror is, you know, yeah, you can do the supernatural stories and, and, and ghosts and all this, but when you include real life horrors, I mean, that's always way more terrifying than anything, any imagining imaginary monster, you know, because it actually happened, you know, what's more scary and terrifying than to think of something like slavery actually existing, you know, and having a foothold in this country for so long, it's horrible. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The part in that book where the, uh, I can't remember the the male main character who was the slave's name, but he was saying that the, the chicken was more of a person than he was. And I was just like, man, that, yeah. can you imagine living like that? God. No, but, um, yeah. And well, you know, let's talk about the North and South transition here too, just culture wise, because mm-hmm. you're from the birthplace of America and now you live yeah. in, the well not the birthplace of the confederacy but like definitely you know the opposite side of <laughs> the opposite side yes. of things historically what uh what was it like going from because in the book evie and her friend um no it wasn't her friend it was her boyfriend couldn't remember all the different historical places and she's like we live here how do you not know this did you grow up yeah. right around all that kind of stuff too yes and i had tons of field trips like based on the american revolution uh, most of the schools I went to were named after revolutionary he- uh, heroes. Like um, I went to Nathan Hale Elementary School for a while, and you know, um, everything is like Paul Revere, George Washington, you know, what, all the founding fathers, Sam Adams. Even though I didn't grow up in Massachusetts, he's still everywhere in New England, and yeah, um, yeah it, it was just a thing, and. It was kind of cool, you know, but um, I think we focused more on that growing up. Like we did not study the Civil War too much. Like when we were in high school, there was a section of our American history, which I think was junior year, which we did study the Civil War. But it was a very different like curriculum than what I've learned since uh, that people down here study regarding that. So, um yeah, it it was to- it was a huge culture shock, which is why in um Clementine's Awakening, I kind of explore. Well, I don't really explore the difference between like North and South too much, but I do a little bit because um you know Clementine is a Southern girl, a Georgia girl, and 
but she never really has been anywhere. So um, all she knows about life is what she observes from tourists and from, you know, books and studies or whatever. But I do make a little a, few, a little mention of, you know, the differences between them in that story, too, because it's just yeah. something that fascinates me that we can all be from the same country. But there's so many differences that seem small, but some of them are big. Like, you know, you hear in the South, a lot of times people argue, well, you know, I'm not a racist, but I think the Civil War was about states' rights. And it's like, yeah. okay, fair enough, but one of those states' rights that your was ancestors slavery. were defending was slavery. And that's not a right. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that should never be a right that you get to enslave another human is property. So, I mean, there, there's been a lot of, I've met, I met so many good people down here, but there's definitely been people I've had my differences with and had to yeah. have serious discussions with, you know? Yeah. Well, I knew a guy from um, Alabama that I worked with when I was in the Navy, uh, actually in Florida and then overseas too. And uh, he was very much the same way. He's like, Hey man, I'm not a racist. And like his best friend was uh from the Dominican Republic. So, mm -hmm. you know, he obviously wasn't somebody who just purely hated people of a different color, but he was like, no, nah, man, no, nope. the civil war, it wasn't about slavery. And I was like, well, I just read the, the last transcript <laughs> of the full meeting of Congress. And it was the <laughs> Senator from South Carolina saying, if you enforce no slavery, we're going to secede from the union. So it wasn't exactly. just about all rights period. It was a very specific one. Yeah. I mean, and I get like, you know, states want to be independent and they should be, but there's times where that's when the federal government's supposed to hop in and be like, look, everyone go into your corners, shut the hell up. Mom and dad are talking and you're going to listen to us and do what we say. You know? yeah. yeah. The federal Which government is, is like, we're a fan of oppression too, but subtle, more subtle. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it was the same thing with like segregation and stuff. I mean, imagine if they didn't step in in the 60s to stop you know uh, cities and states from segregating students and people and i mean that that's crazy too yeah and i don't want to make it sound like i'm uh trying to demonize the south here because i lived in florida for a while and i i like the south um and one thing that i've noticed especially is if you talk about like uh if you if you talk about race in the north and race in the south a lot of people in the north just assume that most people in the South are racist. But when I was like um, visiting in the Carolinas and in Florida and in Georgia, it seems like most of the younger people are like, oh yeah, that's just some old shit that like our great grandparents and grandparents couldn't give up. But most young people now, like one school tried to have two separate proms, one for black kids and one for white kids. Mm -hmm. And the white kids were like, no, we want one prom or nothing. Like there was, it wasn't right. a question. Well, and I, I think so too. Like, I think uh, I'm from generation X. So um, we already were born after the worst of all of the, these upheavals and riots and stuff in the sixties. So I think we grew up a lot of people in my generation, more open-minded, but I think the following generations are even more so. And I really, I have a lot of faith that things are moving in the right direction. I know, you know, in the media and stuff, sometimes it seems like there's lots more setbacks, but I think, I mean, there's always going to be, you know, bad people doing bad things. And that's from all walks of life, all parts of the country. But I, I mean, I have to have faith that 
the people I know are good people and that you see good people on TV all the time. And we've got to be moving in the right direction. You know, we just can't give up on keeping that momentum going, you know. I love the sentiment and I love what you're saying, but you got to admit, it does sound kind of weird coming from a horror writer who writes about monsters, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm a strangely optimistic person. I think it's well, because I get out all my negativity writing about monsters. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, and that's, uh, that's what other writers, including the the great Stephen King have said, is that, you know, I don't, I don't need a therapist. I just write all my shit and you people pay me for it. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, we don't have to go too too much into personal stuff if you don't want to. But mm -hmm. is there anything in your life that draws you to um, darker forms of expression like that? I've noticed that you know a lot of your books have uh, deal with childhood traumas of you know varying spectrums of I don't know what, what you want to call like nastiness or you know fairy not fairy tale, but, you know, dealing with the fairy stuff, the good people. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, is there is there something that's just got you all messed up that you're trying to work out in your head or? I mean, yeah, for sure. There was a lot of stuff, uh, you know, not to say that I had the worst life ever, because I didn't. There's always someone worse off than, you know, whatever you think you went through. Oh, don't but, start um... with that. Everybody's, everybody's <laughs> trauma is trauma. True, true. But no, I mean, like, you know, I had I had good memories with my family, but I also had some really dark times that I went through individually and with them. And yeah, it absolutely left its mark, you know, and for a while during my teenage years, I was in a very bad place. You know, um, I had uh, had issues after my parents divorce. Uh, I had other issues uh, being assaulted when I was a young kid. And, um, you know, it brought me to some very bad places mentally physically and uh eventually you know i did get taken away from my home uh so for a few years and then um that that was uh, another trauma that was hard to get over yeah. so i How think old were you um, when that happened uh 15 was the worst of it and between like 15 and 18 was like probably my lowest point ever and yeah. um so did it was, you, it you was one of those really rough. That, like got in fights and didn't give a shit and all that? Or what was your response to all that? Well, I tried to get in fights, but nobody <laughs> would fight me. I, <laughs> like I was, I was such a smart ass and I would pick fights all the time, but I don't know. Like I, I seriously doubt it was like my intimidation factor, but there was just something no one would actually throw a punch. So that was very unproductive. <laughs> so either they were so, scared or they were like, please. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, so I, uh, I ended up taking out most of my frustrations on myself and uh, yeah, it was super hard. And, you know, I, I think that's why family themes and childhood trauma themes stick with me so much because those years, even though, even if you have, you know, stay with your family for the bulk of your life, that's 18 years, which seems like forever at the time, but it's really not forever. Like now that I'm 42, I look back and it's like, I feel like that was not even myself, that that was a completely different person, Yeah, you know, cause it's so yeah. distant now. Um, and that's, it's, oh, it's such, so frustrating because when you see other kids going through the same thing, 
you know, and you want to tell them this really is going to go by so fast. And what you think is insanely crucial now is really not going to be. So just hang in there because it, it, it's going to be over and you'll be on your own before you know it. And then you'll have real problems, you know, like, like adulting sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, uh, it can get the best of you sometimes. I was going to take my kids somewhere and drop them off while I was doing this. Cause it's their spring break. But then like we were talking mm-hmm. about that fuel pump relay and my car went out. So now my car is at the dealership. I got shuttled back over here and my daughter is watching my two sons trying not to lose her. Goddamn mine. Oh, poor kid. Yeah, she's she's really good and she's really patient, but she has two younger brothers who are five and seven. And she's uh you know, she's right at that twelve turn and thirteen age. So it's a you you were there once, you you know. Yes, yes. So I mean I was only I was only a year and a half older than my sisters, but I definitely still had to take the slack up of watching them at times. And they were very hyper twins, so it was not an easy task. And a lot of times I just locked myself in my room and said, go do what you're going to do. Cause I, I washed my hands of it. <laughs> yeah. So far I haven't heard any screams, but usually if they're alone up there with each other for like an hour, you'll hear, leave me alone. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, siblings. And that's another thing I write about too. Like in the mother we share, um, I don't know if you've gotten to the Yeah, no, end. that's an intense sibling rivalry right there. Yes. I don't know if you got to the end, like, but the acknowledgments, I write about how I was inspired by this story because I have younger twin sisters and it's like a big family joke, like who's the evil twin, who's the good twin. So that's always been something we grew up with. Spoiler alert, they both can be evil, but they both can be pretty good too. So... <laughs> But um, yeah, my sister, uh, the one with the kids, she, we all love horror. So she used to tell her daughters that what, you know, she liked to tell them scary stories because they loved scary stories, you know, just like we did. She would tell them before bed that they had twins, each of them, a twin that didn't make it. (laughs) And, And you, and you would see her in the shadows, in the closet, under the bed, you would just see two green eyes. And um, <laughs> so the kids, they called her the green-eyed girl. She was their boogeyman. <laughs> huh. And now they're all, they're all grown up, but they love the story. So <laughs> That's interesting. That's where, so that's where the green eyes came from, huh? Yes. Well, and the fact that me and my sisters all have green eyes, but I think that's where my sister got it from. Cause none of her kids do. So, but yeah, so we just, it's funny how stories take seed. Like she was doing that 20 years ago, telling that story, but it took seed enough, even in my brain that I wrote a book about it eventually, like my first book, which she's delighted about. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm looking now. I want to see the acknowledgements because I didn't see those the first time. Oh yeah. You know what? I skipped right past that and went right to the, um, about the author part where everything's blank. (laughs) It was the ARC. So it didn't have it all in there yet. And I was like, Oh, about the author insert bio here. Join author's (laughs) name on website, Facebook. That's all changed for the final copy. (laughs) 
Okay, good. I was going to say, if that's not, if they haven't taken care of that yet, then you might want <laughs> No, it's all good now. Yeah, that was like the early, early arc, so. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I want to ask you about the um, the actual, not history, but the um, the folklore and, and everything that you got into mm-hmm. for this, because it seems like you did more than just read a Wikipedia stub. There's There's a lot of like specific places and names and... How much of that is real? Like the uh, the guy who got in the the boat wreck and guards the um, the uh, oh what's it called the uh, Tech Duin and Nakfirna. Those are yes. all real places. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, how did um, all this stuff come on your on your um, on your radar? Well, I've always been a huge fan of folklore, mythology, legends, and um, my grandmother and her entire family were Irish. So that was always a big part growing up, you know, because uh, she would, her parents, I forget if, no, her parents were born here, but her their parents immigrated during the potato famine. So, um, you know, they had to change their name and couldn't find work and the whole nine yards. So I always thought those stories were, you know, really interesting when I was growing up. And so I started looking into the history of it at a young age. You know, I was reading like um, Yates and Lady Gregory and whatever I could find. And I always loved those stories. So, yeah, because yeah, I remember you mentioned them specifically in the book, too. Yeah, yeah. And oh, and they're great. And I totally recommend them. And you can either get a lot of their books for free or super cheap, you know, yeah. on like Amazon. But um yeah, I was just, you know, I grew up again with this in the back of my head. And I hadn't read any of those stories for years, mind you, when I was sitting down to write this. And I wasn't sure where I was going to be going with this. But then it, it kind of hit me, you know, inspiration strikes. And I was like, I should I should interweave these. So I did. And um, while I was doing that, I looked up, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, local sites. And I studied, I should also say, I studied... Um, witchcraft and paganism a lot when I was a teenager and I fancied that, myself I was gonna say was that kind of a when in your angsty days or yes that was yeah. that was part of my grand rebellion you know <laughs> I, I remember some people got really into like punk rock some people got into like uh paganism and wicca and stuff like that and... I tried to be like Willow from Buffy so <laughs> um and anything to shock my catholic family you know so right yes i'm gonna take this path (laughs) but no it ended up even though i didn't stick with it as like a discipline you know the lore and everything always fascinated me and i always kind of dallied you know to read about it and uh whether through nonfiction well you know nonfiction books or fiction books it's always been something that interested me so that's why I uh already knew some of the stuff but I had to like do more research to get like some cool locations and you know I thought it was really funny too while I was researching that a lot of places in Ireland you know I worked at an Irish pub with a lot of actual Irish people like immigrants to this country Mm. so um you know you ask them about fairies I told them I was writing a book about fairies and they were like oh Jesus like (laughs) they were like come on um that no one believes that that's nonsense you know bollocks whatever and uh 
So then I started reading some papers about like the hawthorn trees and, you know, that's where the fairies, you know, that's where the door to their home is and whatever. And I thought it was super funny that there were several articles, not even just one, but there were several articles about road projects or building projects that got put on hold or had to be completely redone because the locals didn't want hawthorn trees disturbed. Wow. Because they thought they thought it could disturb something else. And I'm like, so is it nonsense or do you all actually believe this? Because your <laughs> actions are not <laughs> they're not matching up with your words here. <laughs> so so that was yeah. something that, that interested me. And that's how I, I, you know, it just really drew me into building this world that Evie accidentally uncovers because of her midnight visitor, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it. Trying to figure out a way to say this without being too spoilery, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, when the, uh, the mistaken identity both on her part and then later her dad's too, that um, the, the first time around though, really threw me for a loop. I was like, why would she want to hurt her? <laughs> right. Because it shouldn't make sense. But if, again, if you do the whole evil twin thing, yeah, my sisters are 40 years old. They're 40 and they love each other very much. And they're twins, but they also at least once a year try to kill each other. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why there's that thing with twins. And it's not just my sisters. Like I thought it was just them. I thought they were like somehow broken or domestic. But you know, as you grow up and you make friends outside of your family, I've met a lot of twins. I've met triplets, in fact, that I, I worked with one, a set of triplets. And, um, they said all the time. So I asked them, I'm like, do you guys fight like really bad? And they're like, oh, all the time. There's, we're always competing with each other. We're always fighting with each other, but we still love each other. It's just, I don't know. It's a thing. So, you know, I think part of that was really one of the roots. I mean, obviously it goes deeper than that, but, um, but yeah, I, again, I'm trying not to spoil. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted it to be unclear at first, you know, because that's yeah. part of the mystery. Otherwise, what is she unraveling? What is she looking for if she already knows all the answers, you know? Well, you do a lot of really good misdirection and it's not, uh, it's not <clears throat> overly elaborate. It's just, you know, kind of the old, oh, doesn't this look like this? Yes, it does. Well, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause when I'm, when I'm, Writing, it's different. Like, you know, when you write, you, sometimes you just get everything out. And that's what revising and editing, that's when you go back and tweak certain things. But yeah, mm -hmm. when I was going back and reading it, some things I keep or enhance and some things I'd be like, that doesn't even make sense. You know, because you, you, you got to still when you're revising, it's more important than ever that you're in not only the character's mind to try to understand their motivation, see things from their point of view, but you want to also be in an audience frame of mind. You know, mm. you want you want there to be just enough so the audience understands what's happening, but you don't want to give too much away. And sometimes there is room where, I mean, a character's not omniscient, especially if you're writing from first person. They're not omniscient. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's easy to have these mistaken identity issues or whatever, because you're just seeing from their eyes and you're working based off of their limited knowledge. So if you do it that way, it's it's easier to have the misdirection. Yeah. 
Did you always start off with the story knowing that it was going to be told from the um, main character's point of view, or did you kind of tinker with the uh, third person style? I did not. Um, I know a lot of YA books are written in first person, and Mm. I know not everyone likes reading in first person, but I like reading in first person (laughs) because I feel like I'm more immersed. And I found that while I was writing in first person, again, this was my first book, so I didn't really have much to compare it to. But it was so much fun for me writing it in first person because I was also immersed, you know, like I felt like I was in the story too, which was super fun to work on, you know, and it was very cathartic because I'm like, wow, this is like so much fun, like going through here, feeling all these emotions and then realizing it's all fake because I just made it up, but it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I remember having a, one scene that um, I wrote in my book and I actually felt exhilarated. Like it was a scene where kids were just doing like a quick little bike race on some dirt paths, but just writing it, I was like, Oh, this is exciting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's a sign too, that you're doing something right. Because if you're that excited, if you're that interested, obviously you're going to be interested in your own creation. Well, you would think, but sometimes you're not. And that's, again, that's a clue that you need to flag this section, come back to it because something's wrong. If you yourself are feeling disconnected from it, yeah. if you're disconnected, definitely the audience is going to be disconnected. Yeah. You know, I want to come back to how your process has changed and evolved from book to book. Um, but no, let's just go straight there. Let's go straight there. So from book to book, <laughs> because this is the first one that you wrote, was it shorter um, than some of the others? intentionally or was it just kind of like this is my first time writing a book I'm going to write a shorter one or um was the was there just a progression of making this one shorter because of or I'm sorry the other one's longer because they're not aimed at a younger audience well I I realized when I was writing the first draft I was maybe between 50 and 75% done with the first draft and I was looking at everything and I started getting more ideas in my head and it hit me. I was like, this is going to be a series. Hmm. So, cause I had, I knew there was going to be more that would need to happen. Cause I had already, I already had the ending in mind and I'm like, it can't the end big there. master ending, like the series. Ending. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well that and, and the, the story ending, I'm like, I knew how I was going to end the story, but I'm like, but it can't end there because she hasn't been able to learn everything. So that's why I wasn't too concerned with getting to a certain word. Like I knew I wanted between like 70 and 90,000 words, which is usually what I aim for anyway. Mm. And um, I I forget how much this one measured up to, but I think it is a smidge shorter than the other ones. But that's because I knew I had to end it at a certain place. And I was going to have book two, which the draft for that's already written. I just got to get it moving through the editing process and everything. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And book, yeah, book three is like, you know, 50% done, but yeah. So never fear like people who are listening and are like, Oh, I hate reading a series when not everything's done. This is all going to be done. I don't know like what the time frame will be for publishing, but it's all going to be done. So don't worry. I won't let you down. I'm not going to George Martin you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you another book sometime in the next now to 12 years. Um, 
Okay, so I'm on the process of writing a book after having completed, you know, you know, as much as you ever complete something that's not published yet, um, that other book. And I feel the second time around, a lot less of a feeling of like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I have almost more worry because I was like, I feel like the first one I wrote was pretty good, but what if that was the only good one I have in me and this one just doesn't work out? Did you feel like that at all going into your uh, second book? For about a split second, like I, I finished up the mother we share and, um, I think, I think I let it go maybe a week. And then I already had another idea, which ended up being Clementine's awakening. And Mm. once I started that, the writing for that was so much fun. It was even easier. And each book does get easier in some ways, but it gets harder in some ways because, you know, the more you learn, certain processes are easier to just spit out but then you've got new problems because now you know too much and now you you know what what readers are expecting and even though you're supposed to only write for yourself and for the story you sometimes that stuff you know sneaks into your head and it it nags at you or the more you read you learn more about story structure and you know you when you work with a really good editor like especially on Clementine, I was privileged enough to work with Kenneth Kane, and he's beyond brilliant. He gave me such good advice, and you know, with the story I'm working on right now, it's even seeping into that. Like I'll be writing something, and I'll stop, and I'll be like, "You really want to do that? No, no, no. Let me back up. Let me change that twister. <laughs> you know, so it becomes both easier and harder. But Clementine yeah. was an absolute joy to write as my second book. And then uh, Demon and Me was the third book I wrote in 2018, which kind of seeped into 2019. But yeah, each of those three books came back to back, one right after the other. And each one I loved even more and even more and even more. And then when I would reread them editing, I was like, Oh my God. I love all of them. They're so wonderful. I love them. My little babies. (laughs) I'm going to go back and reread in the order that you actually wrote them. Maybe not cover to cover, but I'm definitely going to go back through and read those and see if I can't notice like an evolution. Cause it's kind of weird reading things in like broken order, like of when they were actually written, isn't it? Right. (laughs) Well, if I don't know if like it's noticeable to anyone else, but I know like working on getting these novels edited and released, uh, you know, you have to do so much reading before it's published because there's always typos you're scanning, you're checking for formatting. So you end up rereading each book probably half a dozen times at minimum, like within oh, yeah. a couple months before putting it out at last. And I know reading each one, you know, it was, it was so different, you know, especially if you let a good bit of time go between when you first write it. It's almost like, what, did I really write this? Did somebody else write this? (laughs) But that's kind of a good thing because um, if you can start detaching like that, that's why when they say, when you write a first draft, put it away for a couple months and then go back to it. I swear it helps so much because the more detached you are from that work, the better you will be at editing it. Yeah, you know, for sure. and, um, you know, because it, it's, it's like you're reading someone else's and we are always better 
when we're reading and editing someone else's work than our own. Yeah. You know, so definitely try to do that for yourselves. <laughs> when when you write, do you I can't remember if I asked you this. So geez, I'm just gonna stop saying that. Let's pretend we've never spoke before. Um <laughs> When, when you write, do you have like a certain amount of pages that you'll put down before you're like, okay, now it's time to go back over those again? Or will you write an entire first draft and then start doing kind of like some revision and editing? I really try to write just a draft. I, I try to resist going back. There are times that I will go back occasionally because um, I do I do a mix of, you know, pantsing and plotting but I am mostly a pantser. So there there are times where the characters will take me in a different direction than I anticipate. And I know, like, I'll, I'll write a scene and I'll be like, in that moment, it'll strike me, you need to fix this part in chapter three, because otherwise you're going to forget to do it. So I will, in those times, I will go back really quickly and not necessarily do it perfectly, because I know I'm going to reread it multiple times and fix it. But um yeah, that that's important because in the moment you don't want to lose your momentum of where you are, what you've been doing, what you're planning. But uh, as far as like just copy editing, like I don't go back looking for typos or grammar or anything yeah, like yeah. that. Not until, you know, because you can get so sucked into that and then you'll never really progress because you just keep rereading the same things and you're going to keep yeah, finding it's, stuff. <laughs> it's just as bad as getting on uh, Twitter or Instagram. It's like, you're just going to go in a circle where you just go, eh, mm-hmm. eh, eh, eh. Oh, 45 minutes has gone by. I ain't done shit yet. <laughs> well, I know people too, that they'll, they'll get so stuck on certain sentences, which there is a part of your editing where that's going to be a thing where you're going to want to go through sentence by sentence on the line edit and make sure everything sounds just the way you want. But you could spend hours, uh, you know, crafting the perfect sentence and you've got hundreds, thousands of sentences in a book. You can't get that sucked in by the minutiae. I mean, it's important, but at the same time, you've got to keep moving forward, you know, and and remember, you're going to edit multiple times. So you don't have to catch everything in one pass. You have plenty of chances, especially right up towards the end. Like I said, you're going to read the book. That last couple months, you're going to read like six or seven times. You're going to have tons of chances. So don't don't get stuck sacrificing story and momentum to fix, you know, what's ultimately going to be silly in the long run. You know, like I remember when I released Demon in the the first time I reread it, I was like, oh, my God, why did I put that comma there? Why did I do this? And it's like, for me, that was like I was losing sleep. I had to go fix it. But, you know, you ask other people, like, what did you think about that comma? They're like, what comma? I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I was just reading the book. You know, that comma on page 117 that seemed iffy? Yeah. Right. <laughs> they don't care. They, I mean, if the story is good enough, you can get away with a lot more than you realize you can. Yeah. And, I mean, as readers, we all know that, too. Every single big five best-selling, you know, written by a legend writer book that I read there's typos yeah. you know it's not a ton of typos but there are you, some here and there yeah and if you find one that doesn't have a typo it's probably not the first run of it right right <laughs> so but if the story is good enough you'll see them but you honestly won't care because you you keep pushing through you keep you want to find out what happens yeah yeah for sure 
Um, oh, yeah, that's right. I wanted to ask you about your relationship with your books. Now that you've got uh, somewhat of a catalog to your name, mm-hmm. um, are they kind of like your kids and you love them all equally but different? Or is it kind of like uh, once you've got a new book out, all the other ones are old news? <laughs> no. I love them all equally, just like a parent should. I know not all parents do, but just like a parent <laughs> should. Um, but no, the hard thing is, uh, especially when you're an indie writer and you've got to do a lot of this stuff yourself, it's very hard to like balance, like, how, how do I market this book or that book? Do I do them all together? Do I do it separately? Mm-hmm. Um, so you, it, I don't know. I don't know if, I, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I'm probably not. But um, it's <laughs> it's very hard to uh, to show like you know who gets the love this month or this week mm-hmm. to keep pushing it you know and um, you just got to try to do the best you can. I've been very lucky with Silver Shamrock because they've helped with um, a lot. They did so much marketing for Clementine's Awakening, which was brilliant. It was so helpful, and um, I I've, will appreciate I've only heard it until the day about I that organization. Like they've oh they're uh, fantastic they've, they've won some awards right some indie indie publisher awards I believe so yeah and um they're nominated again for a couple of uh, Bram Stoker's this year including one of them for best novel uh, which I ended I did read uh, Devil's Creek by Todd Keesling amazing oh, okay, yeah yeah I don't know him personally book. but I definitely know the name I think I might follow him too <clears throat> yes um very good book I definitely recommend I recommend honestly any of the best novels because I read them all this year just by chance, you know, and um, they were all nominated for best novels. So I'm like, oh, I don't even know which one should win because they're all fantastic. They're all so good. <laughs> yeah. I don't think any of them should win. I think one of yours should win. So there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day. Maybe one go. day. You never know. Um, but you no, know, I mean, I, I love all my books. I try to do justice by them i try to promote them as much as i can without being overly promoting because nobody likes the over promoter you know yeah. where that's all yeah. they that's all they do that's all they talk about you know there's definitely a balance i'm still trying to find that balance yeah. between doing well, too much that, and too little you have a pretty good balance because you you let people know that you've got a book out or if there's a deal but then you got your throwback pictures of you and your little kid on there. Like it's not 100% business all the time. There's, there's some personality coming in there too. Yes. I try to do that. Cause it's like, I mean, if I just did sales pitches all the time, people would tune me out very quickly, which I understand yeah. because I do the same thing, you know, and it could be, it could be awesome books that these people are promoting. And sometimes they are, but you've got to blend yourself into, you can't just be a salesperson. Nobody wants that. You know, yeah. nobody wants to be pitched to. That's why we don't like telemarketer phone calls all the time because right. we don't care. It's like, I don't know you. Shut up. Leave me alone. I don't care what you're selling. You could be selling some life-saving elixir that's going to save me years of torment. I don't want it because you called me. I don't, I don't want to hear about what I'm, well, I'm eating dinner at home. Right. <laughs> I don't want to see your book again. Well, I'm just trying to see pictures of funny shit. Yeah. Um, talking about you know the books and you you love them all how much has your writing process changed if at all would you say from uh writing the first novel to 
the the last one you know actually not in the order that they came out but <laughs> <laughs> yeah from the first um, time you finished a novel to the most recent time you finished a novel how much does that process look the same and what are the biggest changes you've made i think um one of the biggest changes and i don't even think i made it deliberately i just noticed that it happened um when i'm on a good flow i can write several thousand words a day it doesn't always happen but i i can um and it was much easier to do that when i first started writing because probably because i i didn't know a lot about like i mean i knew like the general technical aspects of writing but I, I didn't know like in detail what was expected you know yeah it was all new territory right um but now that i do know more of that it is slower at times to get everything out because i am working through trying to do things i'm trying to do things right the first time yeah so that way there should be less editing less rewriting like on a on a serious scale so um so you've got a little yeah, bit of noticed, your editor brain on. Right. So, and which is great because, you know, if it saves me time in the long run, I feel like with the mother we share, Clementine and Dean Nimi, I feel like before I even submitted them, I'm not sure the exact number, but I feel like with each one of those, I probably read, reread them like half a dozen times and, and did a couple of serious rewrites in certain sections for each book before mm. I even submitted them. And mm. then of course after you submit them you go through a whole spiel of like different rewrites and edits and whatever. So um but yeah like uh I think the last book series the Night She Fell came out much more smoothly just from the get-go like there was still stuff through my editor that I I had to fix here and there. But it wasn't as much, you know, and the problems that had to be fixed were not like as big, like there wasn't any massive rewrites or um, massive plot holes that like, how the hell did I write that? Like, that doesn't even make any sense. How did that slip by? So it's a good thing, but it does make for a slightly slower process because you are being more careful initially, but it saves you time later. So maybe it evens out. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the best process is for me because from a, I, I try to write everything by hand to, to start because anytime I've tried writing directly to the computer, it just doesn't seem to have the same flow. So I'll usually write like anywhere from like five to 15 pages by hand and then I'll go back mm -hmm. through and put it on the computer and then a lot of things will come through. It's like, oh, that doesn't sound quite right. And I'll just fix the little things there. But, <laughs> um, but that's, I, I got to admit, it's a tedious way to do things. Do you go straight to a computer? Yeah. Um, well, I started uh, when I was 12. My mom got me a typewriter, mm. you know, because she knew I wanted to be a writer. So from, you know, as early as 12, I was typing. And there's something about typing. Obviously, it's much easier with a computer because you don't need white out and you don't need to change your ink <laughs> ribbon and whatever. <laughs> but there's something about typing. It's almost hypnotic. You know, you got the whole muscle memory thing going on when you've been typing for as long as I have. And um, it, it, it really, for me, it helps make the writing come easier because part of my mind kind of floats away, you know, and mm. the brain that really knows what's going on, you know, the subconscious really gets to you know put down on the page the stuff that it's already planned 
that it hasn't told me yet. So yeah. it comes out much easier. Now, if I were to start writing by hand, which I've always had terrible penmanship, I've always been bad at like the act of writing. So I think if I did that like pen and paper, it would I, I probably wouldn't get anything done because it would be so <laughs> distracting trying to do it right, trying to make my penmanship not look like a complete jumbled mess that I wouldn't you actually even get any it. work yeah. done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but everyone, there, there's people who write entire like 400, 500 page books. Their first draft, they do pen to paper. So you've got to oh, yeah. go with whatever works best for you, you mm. know? Well, I should do what James Patterson does. He writes everything by hand, and then he has a person transcribe it onto a computer form. <laughs> or he's got like a chip in his head, and things just download. I don't know. <laughs> right. So yeah, this is the uh, this is my first notebook on the one I'm doing now. But I writ wrote the entire thing out on there, man. Bless you for that. I could not have done it. But that, the only I mean, way that's I great. can. That's great because it obviously worked for you because you got an entire book. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that way. This, well, remember I said that when I wrote my book, um, I had to go through and scrap about 80 to 90 pages out of the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Those mm -hmm. were the pages I wrote directly on the computer. Oh, see, so maybe you weren't as connected, yeah. like holistically, like your it subconscious yeah. didn't have its opportunity. To work, I can't dial you know? in through all my fingers. It's it's just the hand. And even while we're talking right now, I'm I've been doing this the whole time. See, twirling so my pen in my hand, and so you've got a process yeah. that works for you. Yeah, you know, I've got, and that's great. What do they call that? What do they call that? Not a uh, restless leg, but I've got like restless hand. <laughs> restless hand. Have to write. Have to. <laughs> that's right. Uh <laughs> Well, we've been talking for a little over an hour. Um, mm -hmm. I don't want to take up your whole afternoon, especially since we got started late. But is there anything else that we uh, should talk about? Um, new news with you, stuff about the books. Um, oh, we're going to give away some of your books. I already put a little bit of that <gasps> yes. out on social media. So, And I um, did it on Twitter, too. Yep. And then I, I said uh, on the website, we'll give it about a week or so, See uh, see what rolls in. And then anybody who puts uh what did i say it was shares the picture of your book promo and then also a picture of the show's logo then they probably going to end up with at least one free book so <laughs> or a whole set i mean I, I probably won't give away much more than a whole set because i mean i just don't have that many hard copies on me and i finally got my clementine copies uh amazon kind of held them up a little bit because when they work, they work. And when they don't, it's terrible. So, <laughs> but yeah, I finally got them and they're so pretty. So I'm definitely eager to share a couple of those. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I had, well, I'm going to buy, my I'm buy a couple of copies too, to, to give out his gifts. Yay. You should have, I didn't, did you see that there was a sale um, in March? I believe where most of Silver Shamrock's eBooks were ninety nine cents. Oh, you know what? I think I did yeah. see you posted that on your page, didn't you? Yeah, because um, I bought like ten of them. Because <laughs> there's been a lot more of ones to read. I should get more eBooks, but I just I love having a book in my hand. Yeah, I love it too. But um, 
my boyfriend doesn't love me cluttering the apartment with books, which fair <laughs> enough. At one time I had probably like 500 books. So I get it. It's fair. But, you know, honestly, well, I like my little Kindle too, because I can buy more because yeah. they're usually cheaper, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For and sure. I yeah, can read people it always have 99 cent Kindle books and. Mm -hmm. And I like indie stuff now. I mean, I didn't really realize uh, how extensive the indie scene was. Like, yeah. you know, like most people, I knew that you could self-publish, you know, years ago. But I kind of imagined, oh, it's probably all crap, whatever, blah, blah. But once I got my own Kindle and started reading a lot of those, I'm like, okay, these are not all crap. Some of these are some of the best books I've ever read in my whole life. So, yeah, so it, it, yeah. I mean, with anything, there's crappy, like, big five books that are published, you know, that oh, you I've, spend I've... 20... I love putting down a book that I don't think is good and not reading it all. I've got friends that are like, how can you just not read a book? I'm like, screw it, man. If I get more than halfway through and I'm just like, mm -hmm. when, when's it going to get good? I just put it down. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. And I never used to be that person, but I've been reading so much the past few years and yeah. my TBR just keeps growing and growing. Oh, I've God, got to me. be that person now. You know, I've got yeah. to make a limit like you, like you, I have like a, probably about a third of the way through. If nothing is going on that's interesting me at all, I've got to move on. Yeah. And maybe it's good enough. Maybe I it's just not for me or it's not for me in that moment. And I will come back to it. But usually, no. But it doesn't happen very often. But when it does, I mean, I'm sorry. I just, I've got other books to read and books that are probably going to be more my taste. <laughs> are there any books that you liked, but you couldn't finish because you were just like, shit's too intense? I couldn't finish uh, Misery. Really? Oh, God, I loved, well, I read that so young. But I think I read it, <laughs> I think I read it after the movie came out. I feel like I saw the movie. No, no, it's not true. I read the book first because in the movie, I was like, I forget how young I was as a teenager. I was very mad when Annie's got Paul tied to the bed and I'm waiting for the hobbling scene. And then she takes the sledgehammer and I'm like, Psh. I'm like, really? She's not even going to cut his foot off. <laughs> and my mom's like, what is wrong with you? Like what happened in the book? I want what happened in the book to happen in the movie. <laughs> and everyone in the theater's like, oh, and you just yawn. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, boring. And then there was no dead thumb in the birthday cake. I'm like, what the hell is this? I was not at all happy with the misery adaptation, apart from obviously Kathy Bates made a phenomenal Annie Wilkes. Yeah. You know, that that's worth watching it. But no, the book is way better. I'm sorry. <laughs> that book was just so but, um, intense man like you and it might even be too because i read um an interview where stephen king said that he wrote that book and annie wilkes was like the personification of cocaine and what cocaine was doing to him in his career yes i think i read that same interview um which again it just made it I seem like understand. much more personal than just like oh some yeah. crazy person you know but yeah, it's it's one of the best. Like there's so many books about stalkers and obsessed people and whatever. That's definitely one of the best portrayals, book and movie wise, of how dangerous that type of person can be. Cause you know, you, you I don't think unless it's happened to someone, I don't think I think they think that it's dramatized in the movies and books. Like these people aren't really that dangerous. 
yes, they are really dangerous. If someone is obsessed, it is a real thing. People die every year from it. And, it, you yeah, know, John don't Lennon. take it lightly. Right. Um, I mean, we've had stuff, We're you know, in my family, I hate to say that there's been some pretty bad, you know, domestic violence situations and stuff where mm. one member is obsessed, you know, one spouse is obsessed with another. And there's been some close calls. I mean, thankfully, no one's been killed over it, but it is yeah. definitely, it's not something to take lightly, that that type of uh, behavior. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which also has now given me flashbacks to uh, uh, <laughs> Demon and Me. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's the thing too. It's like, um, you know, I was I was thinking about this the other day because, like I said, this has been March has been like a really hard month. There's been a lot of bad things. Um, unfortunately, nothing that happened to me personally, so that's good. Yeah. But when it's to the people that you love, it, it can be just as stressful and painful because you love them. You want to protect the people you care about from harm. And um, I don't know. It just, it was so crazy. Like that book was so much on my mind this month because I was like, you know, sometimes truth really is stranger than fiction. Like I thought Mm. when I was writing demon in me, I mean, yeah, there were some, there were some uh, callbacks, not to anyone personally, but you know, certain themes and stuff that yes, I did experience as a kid in a completely different setting with different people, but um, it was fiction, you know, it was fiction. But when you actually start seeing stuff suddenly happening in real life like that, it's very disturbing to say the least. And, you know, I've got another story on submission, which I can't, I can't give too much info because I don't know what's going to happen with it. But um, again, it was like a stalker type thing. And then, one someone that's very close to me is currently being stalked and it's a very scary situation. And I was like, damn, I wrote that book like a year ago. And it's like, it was like a prophecy or something. Like what the hell is going on? With, I know like, you're going to be like the new Stephen King where everyone's like, she wrote about it and now it's happening. Now it's happening. But I'm like, it's 2021. I thought it was supposed to be better this year. It is just as crazy so far, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's great. It's, I just, I, I, I can only hope it's going to get better and that everything will work itself out, you know, cause yeah. nobody needs this kind of stuff in their life. It's not healthy, but read books and try write books. I mean, the thing that saved me through this month is the new book I'm writing on. It's, it's really been helpful, even though it's not really related to what's going on, just writing about it. It's releasing like little steam vents of stress, you know, and it, it helps yeah. a lot. Yeah, it it really does too. Because, well, I don't know how long you'll go without writing, um, but I'll go sometimes a couple days at at most, maybe a week where I don't write. Yeah, a couple days where I don't write anything at all. But then the whole time, um, I'll just you know, like when I'm hanging out hanging out with my wife or my kids, they'll be talking to me, and I'll just be kind of like looking somewhere, kind of. <laughs> I was like, "What are you thinking about right now?" I'm like, "Huh? Oh, just all the stuff that I'm going to write next time I sit down." And she's happens, like, "Okay, happens. okay. As long as you're not like contemplating divorce, then we're good." Yeah. <laughs> no, it ha- it happens all the time too. Like I used, to, you know, like the typical husband wife thing. You know, it's a standard joke. Like 
between me and my boyfriend. I'm like, you don't listen to me ever, you know, 20 years. And I'll tell him stuff. And he's just like, huh, what? And then, you know, a week later, <laughs> why did you tell me this was going to happen? I'm like, because I did tell you. But now it's like getting to be the other way around. You know, we'll be just sitting there and he'll be talking about something. And I'm just kind of staring off in the space that I'm thinking about, okay, so my character's coming up to this point. Maybe she should go this way. Maybe she should go that way. Blah, 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 blah. And then he's like, Jen, are you even listening to me? And I'm like, sorry, I was writing. But I don't, yeah. Can you repeat all of that? Because I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. My wife was telling me um, about the next weekend that we're doing something with some of our friends. And then she finished with, does that sound okay? And I went, huh? And in my head, I had been thinking, you know what? We haven't heard from that police officer in two chapters. I got to bring him back in. The next chapter. <laughs> and what's his name going to be? Hmm. Oh, he's already got a nickname that he hates. And there's another guy at the station that him and they get in an argument about it. And it's, yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, we, we definitely as writers, we, we can be very distracted people. Not intentionally. I mean, we're not, we're not ignoring people. I think no, most of us. No, we're, we're hyper focused. We're, we're just not on the right thing. Right. We're very. We're living in a whole other world. You don't. You're not seeing. So. Uh -huh. <laughs> but you yeah. will see one day if we're lucky and get it out there to you. <laughs> so, do you have any other release dates in the future that you already know about, or is everything else kind of still up in the air, uh, dates wise? Um. The only other book that I'm planning on releasing this year so far, I don't know if anything else is going to happen, but um, the sequel to The Night She Fell, it's, uh, we're in the editing process and it should be released the same time it was last year. So the autumn equinox, which is like September 21st-ish, um, okay. it'll be released. And there may be other things like uh, there's a short story that might be coming out and I don't know what else. So I can't really commit to anything, but definitely the night she fells sequel. She who destroys will be out in September. She and as far as that sounds badass, it is, it is, it's a crazy book and it was super fun to write. So um, hopefully everyone will like it as much as I like it, but, um, obviously I'm biased. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, Clementine's been doing really well. I'm so proud of her. And, um, I hope that people like, you know, respond as well to the mother we share. Uh, they're two completely different types of stories. Like this one is definitely got a lot of dark fantasy, like fantasy aspects to it which usually blends well with horror because there's definitely some scenes in there that scared me anyway, when I was writing them, I don't know if it, I'm just, you know, a wimp sometimes well, or whatever. I think, I think fantasy, <laughs> all fantasy is horror. It's just, some of it is like upbeat, like, but anytime right. you're dealing in worlds that are completely different from your own, that by itself is fucking terrifying. Right. Especially if you stumble upon something from yeah. said other world and you're like, what <laughs> is this for real am i insane no you're in a novel <laughs> yeah and i think there's a definitely a splash of that to um to what we might call your style is uh you have a way of 
making the reader question whether or not their main characters are crazy or 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 not or actually have something going on um in a way that's really fun for the reader because they don't know like okay what's actually going on right now (laughs) (laughs) well isn't that so much fun though having your narrator be slightly unreliable yeah. You know, I mean, not to an extreme point, because I've read some unreliable narrator stories where you're like, OK, this is so frustrating and it's going in so many directions. I don't even care anymore what's going on now because you've <laughs> lost me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it, just a little bit, you know, and, and again, it really I think point of view makes a big difference in that. Because if it again, if it's from first person, like these three stories were, if it's from first person. You only know what the character knows. So there's a whole world. There's other people, other people's thoughts and motivations and various dynamics that they're not privy to. So it mm-hmm. can make for, in my opinion, a more exciting read, a more exciting writing experience. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. A lot of people are really, I think they said third limited is by far the most popular to write and read in. And I've been experimenting with that too. So we'll see how that goes. But I mean, it's just, it's just what I like. So I I plan on doing more like that in the future, even though the books I'm working on now are not in that point of view, but you've got to experiment to grow and see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one of these days I'll write a second person POV. I'm um, reading a book right now called if on a winter's night, a traveler by Italo Calvino. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's, um, I don't think I have. It's written all in the second POV and it's, you go to the library and you see this book and you feel compelled. You're not sure why. So you get the book and you take it to the register and like, and the whole thing just goes on like, and you read this book and the more you read it, you find, and I've never read anything that's actually, you know, a novel anyway, that's written in that way. And it's, it's bizarre. It's a little off putting, but it kind of in a good way too, just cause it feels like, you know, it feels like getting on a treadmill and going backwards or something. You know what I mean? Like this part yeah. of this feels right, but <laughs> Well, I think it's not done often because it's super hard to do it in the right way. You yeah. know, uh, it, it's just it's a difficult POV to write from. But um, one that is very popular and deservedly so is the uh, book You by Caroline Kepnes. Oh, I've heard if of it. You've yeah. read that. Yes. And the Netflix show is really good, too. I don't know how well it measures up to the book because I, ha- I haven't finished the first book because I started reading it and then I started watching the show and I got myself all screwed up. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm doing the same thing with Wanda really right good. now. Oh, a lot of people like that show. I'm not a huge comic book person fan though. So I've never, the only Avenger I really like is Thor. So, but my nieces and nephews love all that. They love WandaVision. They're like, you have to watch it. So well, I'm you sure know, I, I would even day. say you have to watch the show. The show seems cool. I've only watched like the first episode and a half, um, but I've got the the complete series um, comic book uh, of Vision. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to me. Like a lot of times you'll read a comic book and you'll be like, OK, the writing is kind of cheesy, but, you know, it's a comic book. The writing in this is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Like it should be it could be novelized. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Um, I've got a bit of a sour taste in my mouth right now for Disney because <laughs> I finally I finally just watched uh, Rise of Skywalker. Oh, boy. 
yeah, I put it off for a year because I was like, I was not happy with The Last Jedi. For people who can't and see her face right oh. now, she's got this look on her face like somebody just parted <laughs> and she's mad. It was beyond horrible. It was like every childhood dream I ever had as a Star Wars fan got kicked right in the balls. So, yeah. <laughs> multiple times it was bad <laughs> multiple times it's already on the ground come on <laughs> so disney disney and i are gonna have to have a little break we're gonna have to have um go our separate ways for a bit so i can clear my head <laughs> that's a generational thing too because my oldest daughter the one who just moved out she's a freshman in college she'll sit there and defend those movies all day long but you know that's that's her generation. You know, right, those, right. Those movies were getting made when she was finding out all the cool things that are out there in the world. So, mm-hmm. right, and that's fair. You know, and everyone likes their own things. And I would never be that person who's like, you can't like it because I don't like it. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but you can still say, entitled... but you can still say fuck them. Right, right. <laughs> I, I'm not happy with it. But if if anyone out there listening is. I completely respect your right to like those movies and good for you. I'm glad you found joy in them. (laughs) I think there's a few people out there that still like it, man. I think so. There's a few, (laughs) there's a couple, they might work at Disney, but I don't know. (laughs) I'm an, I'm an original trilogy guy myself. Yes. And by original, I mean the original original, which can we buy those again? Cause I am not a fan of the updated version. I know they changed it so that uh, in the the newest version, uh, Greedo shoots at Han first, but originally Han shoots first, and that that's yeah. a big that's a big distinction to make. Somebody just shoots somebody because they don't like them, or out of self defense. Right, and the whole scene with like the skinny Jabba, and he like <sighs> all woo when someone steps on his tail, it's like. Are we watching a comedy? Is this the Three Stooges? What's going on? This is Star Wars. <laughs> I don't want to watch his eyes roll all over in his head as, as his CGI body flops around. I want to watch like a serious movie where the fate of the Empire rests in these yeah. possibly incapable young people's hands. <laughs> well, and that was part of the the appeal to me of the original trilogy. And I say the same thing now about... um. Jim Henson's uh, The Dark Crystal, right? Uh, yes, I love that movie. The original ones, like, it was all um, like people making things out of plastic and rubber mm-hmm. and paint. And CGI is cool. And I, <laughs> I interviewed somebody who does CGI work type, that kind of thing. And it's, it's beautiful. But I feel like, especially with The Dark Crystal, I just want to mm-hmm. see really cool puppeteering. I don't want to see CGI at all. Yep. And it, it's, it, you know, it's just as fake. Like you, you see it the, that it's puppets, and you know it; they're not real. Yeah. But it looks so much better. Like I, I did, I didn't end up being a huge fan of the sequel to The Dark Crystal that just came out on Netflix like last year. Me neither. But my kids right. loved it. My kids are right. like, "This is great." And I'm like, "It's not as good as the original." Yeah. I mean, that I mean it, it was right. It wasn't terrible. You know, but it it was not, like you said, there was something so magical about that movie and the atmosphere was, it felt like you were actually in like this weird jungly 
horrible type world and with yeah. all these crazy creatures and then it seems so clean cut in the updated version but you know and there's a lot of that in uh horror movies as well you know a lot of that debate like i grew up on horror movies from the 60s the 70s the 80s you know because i liked old movies even as a kid and the practical special effects like i think probably the best example is the thing you know the original the thing by john carpenter that movie is brilliant like the monsters are so terrifying because they're so bizarre and yes you you can see that they are fake someone made them and they've got like KY jelly or something on them as goo and you know that's not real but it's still so cool but yeah. you watch like the computerized version of like similar type of movies not at all like there's no part of you that's jumping or cringing back because it just it seems too clean I guess is the best way to describe it, it, it you lose a lot I think I think the yeah. practical effects should be make a comeback I hope yeah Unless you're going to just completely blur reality and do something like they did in a Sin City or a 300. Yeah. Where like yeah. the whole world is CGI with just trace elements of reality in it. Yeah. Which that wasn't bad either. But they were yeah. action movies. I think they're held to a different standard as far as that goes. But when yeah. it's something that's super, supposed to be super moving or emotional or terrifying, I don't know. I. I think the practical works better or a blend of it somehow, you know, something it's got to be something yeah. better than all computer. Yeah. I mean, that's why, what has it been? Man, it must be at least 40 years since thriller came out and you can still watch the thriller music video, regardless of what you think about Michael Jackson. And that video great. is still amazing. It's still great. And every or American werewolf zombies. In or no American. Yeah. Werewolf in London. That was the first one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an amazing transformation. It's awesome to watch. And again, it's it's you know it's fake, but it looks real enough that you are cringing when he's going through yeah. it, which means that it's if you cringe, there's something in your brain that is getting enjoyment out of this because it thinks it's real enough to make you react that way. Well, and with, with those parameters that they've got, knowing like, okay, well, we can't make an actual monster the size of a skyscraper. So what we can do is just focus in on its face and then they have to go to like a more of a gothic style strategy of like, we're not just going to show the thing, but we're going to build the thing up until like you almost have a heart attack just thinking about it. Then we'll show it to you for a second. Yeah. <laughs> oh, movie. <laughs> well, books and movies and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, we've got an hour and a half here on record, so let's, let's call it a day. Is there anything you want to say, uh, personally, professionally, otherwise, before we let you go? Um, just follow my, uh, Twitter, Instagram, whatever else <laughs> for updates. Cause I'm sure there's going to be more updates coming out soon. Um, if the podcast gets up before the end of today, the ebook is 99 cents right now for pre-order for the mother we share. It okay. will not be 99 cents once it's released. So definitely pre-order it for that good price. And the paperback will be coming within like a day or two. You know, sometimes it, there's a bit of a lag, you know, between all that. But um, but yeah, definitely please order the mother we share. Let me know what you think about it. Uh, let me know what you think about Clementine's Awakening, which only came out in January and is still 
doing well. Uh, and I'll have updates about my next projects at jenniferlcc.com on my website. So, but yeah, it was always, as always, it's great to talk with you, Chris, and to go over all of our favorite stories and writing stuff and everything. It's a great time as always. Yeah. Likewise. One of these days when, uh, when things aren't so pandemic-y, then uh, I'm going to make another trip down to Savannah. So. Yes. We'll go on a ghost tour. Yeah, dude. Oh, I would love to. I went on one ghost tour the last time I was in Savannah, and I still think about it sometimes and get get goosebumps. Yeah, it was great. It was the walking tour that we did, but they had a couple of them, mm-hmm. like an open top uh, hearse. I saw that looked kind of cool. Nice, nice. <laughs> but yeah. I want to be on the open top hearse. <laughs> yeah, right. Just for that experience alone. Yes. Savannah in a hearse. <laughs> well, cool, man. We'll do that sometime. Um. Tell your boyfriend we said hi. All the best of luck to you with the books and the writing and everything else. You too. And I hope the kids are okay downstairs. I haven't heard them them scream in a while. So maybe one of them's unconscious. (laughs) They're either plotting or they're perfectly okay. (laughs) The oldest is unconscious and the other two are doing dances around her limp body. (laughs) Damn kids. All right. Well, Jen, good talking to you. I'll let you get back to your uh, get back to your regular life now. Thank you for stopping in. Thank you for having me. I look forward to talking talking to you again. <laughs> Go to www.jenniferlsusie.com to find out more. Go hit her up on all of her social media. Check me out at www.christophertalon. Hit up my social media. Look up that book giveaway and get in on that. And uh, go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash creative ops and buy me a coffee. All right, everybody. Love you.